This morning, I felt like the Lord was just speaking to me about this issue. And I just want to pastorally talk to you and just tell you this. Ultimately, I want to talk to you about faith. I want to talk to you about preparation. But it's really geared around this thing that I feel like the Lord's been speaking about this, that it's time to stop allowing the past season of disappointment to distract you from what God's about to do in your life. It's time to stop allowing the past season of disappointment to distract you from what God's about to do in your life. Haggai chapter two has been a passage for, for me and our ministry that's just been really profound and prophetic in the past season. Haggai chapter two is a word where Haggai is going to bring this prophetic word to the Israelites. And it comes at the same time when the Israelites uh, who were in exile come back from Babylon after 70 years of exile. They're tired. They're wore out. They're a little bit exhausted. They come back. They're not in full strength in Jerusalem. They're kind of in pockets around the city. And they lay the foundation for the second temple. And when they lay the foundation for the second temple, it doesn't look like the first temple. It's a little bit smaller. And you remember in the Old Testament, there's a story where it says when they laid the foundation, simultaneously, there was celebration and weeping. And they said you couldn't even distinguish the difference. It was the celebration was so loud. The weeping was so loud. You couldn't distinguish the difference. And the weeping was coming from the older generation. The weeping was coming from the older men who had been in exile, but had seen the former temple. The weeping was coming from those who had experienced what God had done before in the first temple. And now when they looked at the second temple, it didn't look like the first temple. It wasn't what they had expected. And so the young men are celebrating because the temple's been established, but the old men are weeping because it doesn't look like what they knew. And Haggai comes and he gives them this word. Haggai chapter two, starting in verse three, just says this. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. I'm going to get back to this phrase, and work. The word of the Lord that came forth was this, be strong and get to work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine. And the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Then listen to this. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. What we know in our Christian walk is that faith is at the core of that. Faith is that critical component of our walk with the Lord. The Bible makes it very clear that apart from faith, you can't please God. That, that the righteous live by faith, that we see by faith, that if you have faith, nothing is impossible and mountains can be cast into the sea. We know that faith is the currency of heaven. Faith is what attracts heaven. 
But faith looks like something. Faith has action attached to it. Faith is not a neutral, passive, inactive concept. Faith actually manifests and requires action. This is what James chapter 2 verse 17 says. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. James says, listen, faith has to be accompanied by action. Unless it's dead. It's not true faith. If you, if you were to go and read, uh, if you were to go and look at the books on my bookshelf in my office, my, my most treasured books, my favorite books would be books on revival and revivalists. And one of the things that we can somehow fall into when we're reading about revival, when we're hearing about revival, is that sometimes revival feels a little bit like just a random act of God. Like we kind of sweep it into the sovereign kind of territory and just say, you know, God just randomly chose Wales and he randomly chose uh, Pasadena and he randomly chose Kentucky and he randomly chose, you know, just di- uh, different places. But, but, but if you really dig deeper into that, God doesn't randomly choose places. There's actually an individual or a group of individuals who responded to the invitation to partner with God in the earth, to partner with his plans and purposes. In other words, God has plans and purposes in his heart on the micro level for you. He has plans and purposes for your finances. He has plans and purposes for your family. He has plans and purposes for your future and your workplace, for your church. And then on the macro level, he has plans and purposes for this state, for this nation, for the nations of the earth. And God invites us to partner with him to see those plans and purposes manifest and unfold in the earth. Faith is how we partner and participate with God in his plans and purposes. Faith is what gives us access to partnering with what God wants to do. Revival is not just a sovereign act of God. Listen, I, I, I believe deeply in the sovereignty of God. I have a theology of the sovereignty of God, which just means this. I believe God is in charge. God's in charge. And what that means is this. No matter who's in the White House, God's still in charge. I'm around some believers. I'm not sure they really believe that. But, but whoever gets elected, God did not get dethroned. God's still on the throne. Nobody's kicked him off the throne. He's still in charge. So I believe in the sovereignty of God. But, but the sovereignty of God, which I believe in, doesn't mean that there's not something required from my life. The sovereignty of God does not mean that I get to sit back and not actually participate or move forward with what God's asking and requiring of me. Now listen, I want to tell you this because I actually believe that the message of grace that's been coming the last decade or so, the last two decades, there's been this message of grace that's kind of tried to, that's, that has righted the ship in so many ways because we have tried to earn God's love and earn God's favor and earn God's salvation. I grew up in a very legalistic environment and we actually did not believe you could lose your salvation, but we lived every day like we were about to. 
And we just were, we weren't sure God liked us. And so we were working really hard to somehow get him to like us. And so the clothes you wore and showing up to church and not watching certain movies, all of these were trying to somehow gain God's love for us and acceptance for us. And so, so I love this message that's come that says, listen, salvation's free. You can't earn it. It's a gift you receive. And so is his love. If you show up to church every Sunday, you're not more loved. And if you don't show up to church on Sunday, you're not less loved. Like you can't earn God's love. You can't lose God's love. And I love that message that's been coming. But let me tell you this. Faith does require something out of you. Faith does require action. And here's the simplicity of what I want to say today. And here's what I want you to walk out the door with. Is that many times the most simple and yet profound manifestation of faith is the act of preparation. Let me say this again. Faith looks like something. It has an action attached to it. And many times the most simple and yet profound manifestation of faith in our lives is the act of preparation. Second Kings chapter four, and I'm, I'm going to kind of get into some of this stuff, but I want to read this to you. Second Kings chapter four is the story of Elisha, who's going to provide for a widow. This widow was a son of a, was a widow of a son of a prophet and, uh, she lost her husband. Then in those days, as you can imagine, if your husband dies as, as a woman, especially, and he's in debt, you have no real way of repaying that debt can't work, you can't do anything, you can't repay that debt. So when the creditors come and they want the debt paid and you don't have the money, they, were, they come and said, that's fine, I'll just take your sons as slaves in payment. So you can imagine the distress of this widow and who just lost her husband and mom who was about to lose her kids. She comes and she cries out to Elisha, you gotta help. And this is his response. Second Kings chapter four, verse one. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. You know the revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Now, now Elisha's about to tell her what he's about to do, and I want to tell you this. God is not hidden or secret in regards to what he intends to do in your life. God will actually reveal to you the plan that he has for your life because what he requires from you is participation in that plan. So it's not like a mystery. God's not like holding back the, 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 the concept that he wants to bless you. God has a plan for your life. You know what it is? Blessing. Now, God blessed Isaac in the midst of famine. It still required that he partner with God by planting seeds. So, so some of us are so confused, like, God, I know that you want to bless me. Why haven't you blessed me? And he's just like, listen, you are required to partner with me in this through faith. But God wants to actually tell you up front what he plans to do in the nation and in your life. And he says this, verse three. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars. He's telling them what he's gonna do. 
telling her, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him, shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. Let me say this again. One of the most simple but profound acts, manifestations of faith is the act of preparation. God invites us to partner with him by preparing for what he said. Hebrews chapter 11, uh, it, it describes the faith of Noah. It just says this, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, it says, By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen. Let me just put this phrase in there. God spoke to him. God told him what he was going to do. By faith, Noah, when God told him what he was going to do, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. By faith, Noah, when he heard God, prepared. How do we know that Noah believed God? How do we know that Noah actually had faith? Not because he said, I believe you, God. I want to tell you, I'm not here to be harsh with you today, but a lot of people say, I believe God. And I'm like, I don't think you believe God because your life does not actually demonstrate or manifest in any area preparation for what God said. The way that we know Noah believed God was his faith manifested in the action of preparation. How do we know Noah believed God? Because he built an ark. <laughs> because the Lord spoke to him and his word caused action to happen in the life of Noah and he began to prepare for what God said. My, my uh, we have three kids, 24, 21, and 18. And, uh, thank you. And, uh, if you've ever tried to get, you know, have a child, you go through kind of the, the ritual of the pregnancy test. And the pregnancy test is, you know, my wife would call me, I'd be at work, and she'd say, hey, Banning, I, I want to I take a pregnancy test tonight. I said, great, I'll swing by and pick one up. So I'd swing by, you know, CVS or Walgreens and pick up an EPT test and come home. And then we'd go upstairs to our upstairs bathroom, and we'd sit in this, you know, little, little bathroom, and, and uh, she'd pee on this little stick, and then we'd put it on the back of the toilet. And we had to wait three minutes, and so we'd just stand across the toilet making small talk. Like, hey, how was your day? And what are you doing for dinner? And, you know, talk to your mom today or whatever else. You know, we're just chatting about the day. And after three minutes, we look down at the pregnancy test. And if there's one line, life goes on as normal. If there's one line, we go downstairs, we cook some food, we watch some TV, we get ready for the next day. But if there's a second line on that test... If a second line appears on that test, my life as I know it, in three minutes, just changed. My life in a span of three minutes will never be the same again because of a second line. That second line is revealing something to us that my wife's pregnant. And when my wife finds out she's pregnant, she kicks into hyper-preparation mode. Our life is now geared toward this thing. There's a baby coming, 
And so we're buying things we don't need to buy and we're paying things we don't need to paint and we're cleaning things we don't need to clean. And we are, it's just hype. It's all we're talking about. It's what we're thinking about. It is a baby coming because a second line. It was three minutes. We were making small talk. You look the same. But that second line is telling us something and we begin to prepare. I'm telling you right now, we believe, we believe pregnancy tests more than we believe the word of the Lord. We believe things in the natural more than we believe the word of the Lord. I want to say, don't tell me you believe the word of the Lord. Show me in your life where your life is preparing for what God has said. Show me in your life. Now, here's the issue. This is, this is, what, I, this is what I want to tell you about discouragement. For so many people, the past season, it's been survival, it's been, it's been, it's been disappointment, and things that didn't work out like they thought, it's been discouragement. And in seasons of disappointment and discouragement, what happens is, is we begin to lean back a little bit. All of a sudden, we're not leaning forward like we used to. All of a sudden, we're not leaning into what God said. All of a sudden, we're not preparing for what he said anymore. And we begin to lean back. And I'm, just, I'm here to tell you this. Do not allow past seasons of disappointment. Do not allow past seasons didn't work out like you thought. This is the word of the Lord that came to the Israelites. To all those people that have been in exile. All those people that have been worn out. All those people that have gone through 70 years. We're tired. Haggai comes to him and says, listen, I need you to get ready. I need you to get to work. I need you to begin to prepare and to build because God is about to do something. And what God is about to do, he hasn't forgotten about his covenant with you. He hasn't abandoned you. And what God's about to do is he's once more going to shake the heavens and the earth. In fact, what he's about to do is going to be greater than anything you've ever seen. That season before... You may have walked through some disappointment. You may have walked through some heavy times and you're looking back saying, Lord, what you did before. And he's saying, listen, what I did before, I'm going to blow your mind with what I'm about to do right now. But you have to lean in. You cannot lean back. You've got to begin to lean in. You've got to begin to take the word of the Lord and move towards it in faith, manifesting in preparation. That we manifest this in preparation. Because the, the, the simplicity of this concept, that true faith in your life, if you really believe God, it means that you will prepare for what he said. If you can imagine, we have a, when my kids were little, my wife and I had a life hack. And our, our life hack was around, you know, our kids are little, we're tired. I like having an orderly house, but man, the house would get just messy and disorderly. And, but I was too tired or lazy to clean it. My wife was too tired or lazy to clean it. And we'd look at each other and go, we got to clean the house. She's like, I know, I don't want to clean the house. I'm like, I don't want to clean the house. So the life hack we had, if we didn't want to clean our house was we'd invite another couple over for dinner <laughs> because, because we knew that if another couple was coming over for dinner, it would motivate us to clean the house. So we're like, all right, let's have some people over. You know, half the time people are like, thanks so much for inviting me over. I'm like, yeah, I just had to clean the house. Uh, but, but, but if you can imagine, I go to David. I said, David, man, I'd love to have you guys over for dinner. You and Joe over for dinner on a, a Tuesday night. 
You want to do that? And David looks at me and says, we will be there at seven o'clock on Tuesday night. I'll call my wife. Says, CJ, the leeches are coming over on Tuesday night. David said he's going to be there at seven o'clock. She's like, That's fantastic. Well, well, because David has never lied to me, he's got a track record of being a man of integrity. He's trustworthy. He's a man of his word. I believe him. And so because I actually believe him, it manifests in my life. So if you were to run to me at the grocery store on Monday, and I'm in there shopping for food, and I'm getting some steak and different things, and they're saying, what are you doing? I'm shopping because I'm making a meal because David is coming over on Tuesday. How do you know that? Because he told me. He'd be there at 7 o'clock. So I'm at the grocery store. And then on Tuesday, I'm out vacuuming my house. And if you came over, you're like, why are you vacuuming your house? Because the leeches are coming over. David told me they were. And I'm getting ready. But if David was a habitual, narcissistic liar <laughs> who was just always schmoozing and never really a man of his word and, and you know, kind of like, you bet I'll be there. I'd love that. That'd be awesome. You know, and I come, I say, hey, you want to have dinner at seven o'clock on Tuesday? And David's like, absolutely, man. We'll be there. Can't wait. And I call my wife. I said, David said he's going to come over at seven o'clock on Tuesday. And she's like, really though? Is he going to? I'm like, he did. I, she goes, I know. I've heard it before though. And he's not always true to his word, but are you sure he's going to come? I said, I, I, kinda, I think he is. I don't know. I hope he is. And, and, and on Monday, I'm not quite as motivated to go to the grocery store. I'm texting David. You sure you're coming over? Because I'm about to go spend some money on grocery. Are you sure you're coming over for dinner? Totally, man. I'm going to be there. Like, oh, okay. I mean, Tuesday, I'm about to vacuum. David, you sure? Because I'm going to vacuum. Are you sure you're coming over tonight? I'm not cleaning this house if you're not coming over tonight. Because, because he, he has proven himself to not be trustworthy. And so my, my, my moving towards preparation is radically affected by whether or not I believe him or not. I told you this, man. I didn't fly all the way out here just to be harsh on you, but listen to me right now. A lot of people say they believe God, but I'm like, I don't actually think you do believe God. I think you think God's a liar. I think you think God's somebody that really can't be trusted and so because of that, you're not really moving towards the things that he's spoken to you about. You're not really moving towards what he said about the nation, what he said about the city, what he said about the church, what he said about your life. You're not really moving towards what he said about your marriage. If you believed him, if you believed him, you'd start vacuuming. If you believed him, you'd be at the store buying groceries. Let every man be found a liar, but God be found true that, that, that it's, it's, I believe you. And listen, I, I'm not here to beat you up if you don't believe God. I'm just saying, go deal with that. Just recognize, I don't think I believe God. I can say I do all I want, but my life is not manifesting the action of faith called preparation that actually reveals I do believe God. I'd get before him and say, God, I don't know if I believe you. I'd get with friends. I don't think I believe God. Just be honest about it. There's a lie in there that I am somehow believing. It's causing my faith in you to be eroded. The Christian life is a life of preparation. I, 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 the Christian life 
I mean, at its core, it's just a life of preparing for what... It, it, the, the Christian life is a response to the word of the Lord and preparing for that. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40. Do we have that this time or is it... Let me read it. Do we have it? Let me show you this real quick. Isaiah chapter 40 is, is a, a prophetic word about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist actually quoted it when they said, who are you? He said, well, this is who I am. I'm the voice. He, he quotes Isaiah. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And, and he quotes Isaiah. But Isaiah is prophesying about the one who's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. But Isaiah is borrowing in his prophetic picture what would really happen in ancient times with secular kings. I want you to see this real quick. Isaiah 40 verse 3 just says this. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Verse four. Um, is there any more? Is that it? That's all you have? All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do more. Hold on. No, there we go. <laughs> every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. Do we have verse five? I can read it on my, off my thing too. Maybe we do. The, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. I don't know if there's any more after that. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. <laughs> Kings in ancient times would actually from kind of, from, you know, if it, they're in the capital city of Harrisburg and they would say something like, I want to visit Pittsburgh. And the minute that that declaration came forward, there would be a group of people whose main job now was to prepare a highway from where the king lives to the city he wants to visit. And they would do what Isaiah is describing. They would, actually, they would actually take any road that was crooked and they would make it straight. They would take any valley and fill it up and they would take mountains and bring them down and they would beautify this path so that the king who declared he wanted to visit Pittsburgh from Harrisburg, when he was ready to come, would have a straight path that had no obstacles, that was not crooked, that didn't have valleys or hills and was beautiful and would have straight path to that place. Listen, this is our job as believers, <laughs> Our job as believers is to create highways in preparation for God coming, to actually connect and to prepare for Jesus and his kingdom to invade situations. This is why intercession is so important. This is why every believer needs to be an intercessor because intercessors build highways in the spirit because intercessors get up in the heavens and they begin to build pathways for Jesus and his kingdom to come. I believe my, I, this, I really believe this. Maybe my number one job as a father is to build a highway in the spirit for Jesus to have straight access to my children. That there would be no obstacles in his way. That there would be no valleys, there would be no mountains. And that in prayer, we begin to build highways. I have a friend who's battling cancer right now. My job as an intercessor is to get into prayer and to begin to build a highway and a path for Jesus, the healer, and his kingdom to invade that situation. 
we, we, this is what we do. God says, I want to bless your marriage. And so we begin to build a highway for Jesus to come and invade our marriage. And God says, I want to do this in your city. And I want to do this in the nation. The life of a Christian is a life of someone who is preparing for what God said. And here's the sobering fact is that the story in second Kings chapter four, Elisha with the widow. It says that the oil ceased. When? When did the oil cease? When it came to the last jar that she gathered. The last act of preparation in her life is where the oil ceased. I don't want to make a law out of this biblically, but I will tell you this, that many times the level of outpouring in your life is determined by the level of preparation. Many times, listen, listen, faith looks like something. God's looking for you to, to, God's looking for you to participate. Sometimes you want to sit back. I mentioned Isaac. God's like, Isaac, I want to bless you in a famine. In the midst of a famine, I am going to bless you. Isaac didn't just sit back and say, bring it on, God. Let the blessings reign in my life. You know what he did? He partnered with the word of the Lord by planting seeds. Sometimes you want to sit back and go, God, I believe that you want to bless me. What's, what's going on? God's like, you haven't gathered a jar. Gather jars. Build arcs. I should be able to come and ask you in every area of your life, what is the Lord said about that area? And where in your life is faith manifesting by preparation for that? So many times, I want to show you this, and then we can, uh, we'll be done. I actually get on the road. I gotta, I'm going to preach tonight in D.C., let me show you this real quick. Um, whatever the passage is. What's the last passage I want you to preach? Uh, there's a story where Peter has been fishing all night. I want you to see this because faith manifests as preparation. And many times disappointment causes us to be so distracted with the past season that we miss the fact of what God's about to do and we don't partner in preparation with what he's about to do. A, a similar passage out of Haggai 2 would be this story in Luke chapter 5. When Jesus comes and he stops speaking, he says to Simon, launch out in the deep and let down, listen to this, plural, let down your nets for a catch. The next verse Peter says, but Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Listen, he's trying to tell Jesus, Jesus, I don't know if you understand this, but the past season has been difficult. It's been fruitless. I've toiled all night and caught nothing. And you're asking me to go let down nets? Do you not know my past season? Do you not know my past disappointment? Do you not know that I was working hard and yet it did not work out like I thought it would? And you're going to come to me and tell me to go let down nets? And Peter, because he didn't believe him, but wanted to kind of throw a bone to Jesus. It says this, look at this. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down singular net. And he lets down a net and you can see what it said. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and the net was breaking. 
Can I tell you right now, you know what I feel the Lord just prophetically speaking to people? It's a season to let down your nets. I need you to believe me. Don't let down a net. Let down nets. Because what God's about to do in your life is going to blow your mind. And I, it's Haggai 2 showing up right now saying, listen, I, once again, I'm about to, sh- I haven't forgotten my covenant with you. I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth again. I'm about to fill your house with glory. And not only that, what you're about to experience is going to be greater than anything you've ever experienced. Because what I'm about to do is going to be greater than the former. The present is going to be greater than the former. And we have to believe him. Listen to me right now. What God wants to do in the earth and what he wants to do in your life is going to require from the body of Christ, from the people of God, from his church, it's going to require them to actually believe him and not allow the past season of disappointment to position us where we throw a little net down. We gather one or two jars. We don't build an ark. I tell you, this season is a season of letting nets down, of gathering jars, of building arks. It's a season of believing God because he's about to do something in our midst. And he's going to do it with the harvest and he's going to do it in your life. But it will require from you faith, which just looks like preparation. That's it. Go home today and just say, where in my life do I actually not believe God? Where in my life do I not believe God? You say, well, Benny, how do I know I don't believe God? Because you're doing nothing to prepare for what he said. Stand up with me. Why do you build balconies? Because you, <laughs> you're going to prepare for what God is about to do. I, the Lord all the time will just tell me, he goes, Ben, and eventually you're going to believe me. He goes, eventually you're going to believe what I'm telling you. Will you lift your hands all over this place? Father, I just ask that you would break every, every shred of doubt in our life that somehow has treated you like you're a liar, like you're untrustworthy. God, I pray you deal with every lie in our life that has made us believe that you're trustworthy. We just say today, God, even coming out of past seasons of disappointment, even coming out of past seasons where things didn't work like that, even coming out of seasons where we are in exile or toiling all night, and God, you're just saying, listen, I need you to trust me on this. What I'm about to do is going to be greater than anything you've ever experienced. Get ready. And the word of the Lord over you is what Haggai said. Listen to me. I have not forgotten about my covenant with you. Be strong and get to work. Get to work. Just just for a moment, I'm going to hand this over, but just for a moment before the Lord, to say, God, reveal to me the areas that I need to get to work in in preparation. might be the Holy Spirit, might be fatigue. The, uh, that's amazing, isn't it? I just want to, I just want to, I want to release you. We heard, we've got a word from the Lord today and I'm convicted. I'm thinking, you know, 
Almost everyone here, you've had some victories in, you know, you've got some vision, you've got some victory. Don't settle. Don't settle for, oh yeah, well, the rest of the prophecy didn't come true. It'll be for the next generation. <laughs> when you're my age, this becomes a big temptation. Can we just say we're going to prepare? We are going to prepare. I'm, I'm praying that God will release a grace it, by the Holy Spirit. He speaks to us. He convicts us of sin, of righteousness, of judgment, and, and much more. God, I, we pray, Holy Spirit, go ahead, and you can close your eyes if that helps you, but I, I want you to receive this prayer because it's a prayer for our whole community. It's for me first, and it's for everyone. Holy Spirit, convict us of places where we've just settled for less than what you promised. We thank you that so many prophetic words are big and fantastic. And we're happy that we get a piece of it. But God, we don't want to be contented or, or lackadaisical. God, we pray you'd stir us up. We'd be awake. We wouldn't be lazy. And we wouldn't be unmotivated. But God, we would re give us grace to inventory the promises and the things and the visions and the hopes and the dreams that we believed in and be able to measure our motivation there. God, we pray, increase our faith and make us a people full of the energy of the Holy Spirit to pursue that. We just bless you. We want to prepare the way for the coming of your glory in every area of the life and, and for your own return, God. But we don't want to be we don't want you to find us sleeping when you come. <laughs> Can you say amen? Amen.